And the reading this morning is from Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I wonder this morning how you envision the future. How do you envision the future? Maybe, um, I don't mean the next year or so, I don't even mean sort of like what we were just talking about, 2030. What do you think the future might be like 50 years from now? Or maybe 100 years from now? How do you envision that? I'd love so much just to ask, but we won't do that. <laughs> I'm seeing faces like, hmm, hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? When we, if you sit and begin to imagine and begin to think of what the future might be like, to sort of capture a vision of that. It's interesting, though, that um, I think for most of us, if we begin to envision the future, the things that uh, may start to come into our minds... Um, well, I mean, if I start to think about the future, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind almost immediately is I, I well, this probably tell you much about myself, I think driverless cars. You know, we won't be driving anymore. And, uh, and then you start to think about, I start to think about all the things that are advancements and things and things. Well, we'll, you know, 50 years from now, we'll just, we'll have renewable energy and we won't be relying on the things we have. And, and then I start to remember Mars, you know, we'll probably be on Mars by then and all those sorts of things. But then I sort of step back for a minute and realize that every one of those things usually that would come to my mind about envisioning the future, are, we're already on the cusp of that happening today. I mean, driverless cars aren't any big thing now. I mean, it's not, it's not if they're going to happen. It's more like, is it going to be in the next three years, five years? You know what? It's, it's just, it's actually right at hand. 
and, and, you know, renewable energy and all that sort of thing. I mean, there's all the economic pressure as well to switch to that because it just start, it's starting to make so much sense, let alone, you know, the other impacts that it has. And, you know, my guess is probably, I mean, we've sent lots of things to Mars and we probably would send people if we weren't risk averse about needing to get them back. <laughs> so it's not that really far away. If we're going to be envisioned about the future, most of us need somebody to help us capture a vision, see something that we haven't already seen, to put out there something that we haven't yet imagined. We sort of call some of those people futurists, the people that are thinking about what the future could hold. And, and most of us don't really, we sort of can only project out the things that we already see, and very few people actually see beyond that. Today, we're looking at this passage as we continue and wrap up our series on um, Easter uh, um, ambassadors. We're, we're seeing Jesus unfold a vision to his disciples. Just before he departs this world, Jesus is envisioning his disciples about what the future is going to be like and about their future in particular. I'd just like to sort of walk us through several things here as Jesus begins to unfold this vision to them. The first thing that is interesting to me is that um, the, the, the disciples focus. The disciples are very focused uh, on uh, this thing about reestablishing the kingdom of Israel. It's something that came up over and over again all throughout Jesus' ministry. The, the question of, are you here to establish the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus here is talking to them about the kingdom of God. And he, they, but they begin to focus back in on the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus, first of all, needs to refocus their attention. He needs to refocus their attention because what he's trying to tell them is, Basically, don't worry right now about the kingdom of Israel. In fact, he says his response to their question is, you know what, only God knows the times and seasons, and that's not really for you to worry about or figure out. Here's the point. I've called you to be my witnesses. We're using the term ambassadors, but my witnesses. To share with people and to witness about my ministry and my resurrection and to share with people about the impact that I've had and what you've experienced with your own eyes. We have to be refocused from time to time. There's something that uh, about uh, human, uh, basically our wiring, is that we tend to be very focused. We have something that's called selective attention. You see, our bodies are created with incredible number of receptors for information. Our, literally, we are covered. Our skin is nothing but a giant receptor of information. It's called touch, right? The sensory perception of touch. And, and, and every part of our skin has sensors on it to determine and feel what, what we're feeling and, and what we're taking in. That's a lot of information, actually, to process. Our ears are taking in all sorts of sound and our eyes can see all sorts of things and, uh, and we can taste and all of our senses are taking in all sorts of things. And 
we actually can't process all of the information that our body is taking in in a sort of clear and coherent way. So uh, much of our mind actually just sort of puts a lot of things on autopilot and just sort of waits, it's sort of just sort of waiting until something significant enough like, oh my goodness, that's hot, you know, but our brain isn't really thinking a lot about it until that moment comes. This, uh, this whole thing about selective attention, um, a couple of uh, researchers uh, won the Nobel Prize in 2004 uh, for their studies on selective attention. I love it. Their, their Nobel Prize was for um, achievements that make people laugh first and then think. It's pretty good. I like that. It makes people laugh first and then think. And, and what they did was um, they had a video. Some of you will have seen this. Many actually in the room may have seen this, especially if you're connected to the internet and ever watch, you know, YouTube films or anything like that. But in, this, um, in their study, what they showed was they, they took a group of people and they showed them a video. And before they ran the video, they said this. They said there's going to be two teams of people on the video, and one in black shirts and one in white shirts. And they're going to be throwing a ball between each other. And they said, count how many times the white shirts throw past the ball to somebody else in the video. And so they run the video. I almost thought about running it today, but I'm not. So people watch the video. If we, if we were in this room right now and you'd never seen this before, you would watch the video. And when it comes to an end, the question is, how many times did the white shirts pass the ball? And the majority of you in the room would say 15, and you would have been correct. But then they asked another question. And the second question was this. Did you see the gorilla? And if you had never seen this video before, even sometimes if you have, you might not notice it the next time, if it's been long enough. The, the, the reality is that maybe one or two people in this room might raise their hands and say, oh yeah, I saw the gorilla. One of them might be lying. But anyway, no. But most people would say, what gorilla? And then they'd show the video again. And as the teams are passing the ball back and forth from each other, right in the middle, this guy comes walking through about like this in a gorilla suit, turns in the middle, goes, oh, and goes walking off. But because we cannot take in all this information. It's sort of like, you know, your computer when it's sort of doing a whole bunch of stuff and all of a sudden you hear the fan kick on really high because the processor's just all at work and it's, you know, it's trying to cool it down. Our brains can't focus on that many things at once with all the receptors that we have. And so we have something that's called selective focus. It's also why maybe our spouse says something to us and we don't hear it. It's not because we don't care. It's just because our brain said it's not really that important. It's just biology. <laughs> and Jesus has to say to his disciples as he's getting ready to leave, he's trying to change their focus. They're focused on the kingdom of Israel and is now the time. I mean, and we've gone through a lot, Jesus, and I mean, this thing has been blowing our minds about, you know, coming back from the dead, and we've sort of got to, now must be the time, and Jesus is like, no, don't even worry about that right now. It's not even for you to worry about. Here's what I want you to be focused on. You're my witnesses. 
If we're going to be envisioned and have the vision of Christ in our lives, sometimes we have to be able to step back from the thing that we've been so focused on and lift our heads and begin to look and say, I need to be refocused. I need to see things differently. And know what I'm, that I'm actually focusing on the things that I'm supposed to focus on. And so Jesus begins to envision them with what it means to be their witnesses. Well, the second thing is God's visions are big. God's visions are huge. I mean, he says, I'm going to call you to be my witnesses. And here's how it's going to work. It's, it's going to be to Jerusalem. Disciples go, great, we're in Jerusalem right now. That's convenient. I think we could do that. We could tell people in Jerusalem about the fact that you rose from the dead. And, and, and then Jesus says, and it's to Judea. Okay, Judea, we did a lot of missionary trips there. We did a lot of journeys with Jesus throughout Judea. We could, we could do Judea. And Jesus says, Samaria. Ooh, wow. I mean, there's some issues there, Jesus, about Samaria. I mean, um, it's still, a, politically, it's sort of a weird thing, you know? And, but, but there was that time where we went through Samaria, and you met that woman at the well, and, and boy, the whole town sort of came to believe in you. And, and so, okay, I mean, that's a, oh, that's a stretch. But okay, maybe we could do Samaria. I got it. We're going to be witnesses to Samaria. Okay. I mean, if you did it, you took us through there, we, we can kind of get that. And then Jesus says, and next, the ends of the earth. <laughs> Is that a bit of a jump? Judea, I mean, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, oh, and now just the ends of the earth. Well, the thing I love about that vision, they don't even know yet where the ends of the earth are. They have not even discovered America yet. They don't, they don't know where, or Australia. How could they not? They had no idea what they would get into. They hadn't uh, yet. The vision is big. The vision is huge. It's bigger than they can even comprehend. God visions always are much bigger than we could ever imagine. Much bigger than we could ever dream up ourselves. That's a God-sized vision. Be my witnesses to the ends of the world. Well, the next piece is to re-envision them. He talks a little bit about timing. Timing's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, even when we sort of know and have a sense of what God's envisioning and vi giving us a vision for, it's always a question of timing. When is the right time? I like the disciples. I like this because Jesus tells them, he goes, he's the first thing he says is wait. I'm giving you this vision. And the first thing he says is now wait. But I really like that he says wait because in a few days. I like that kind of vision. Wait. And in a few days, something's going to happen. But my guess is there's people in this room that would say, there's been times when God's given you a vision and a sense of something that he was calling you to and wanting you to do. And then he said, wait, and it took a long, long time. I was just musing that um, 
our call, our sense of call to, to come to England um, started, we realized, with a vision that happened 15 years before we ever came here. There was a lot of waiting and discerning and trying to unfold what that vision was. Sometimes the visions that God gives to us and the things he puts on our hearts to do, it requires us to wait. Then there's sometimes that the things that God puts on our hearts to do, we wait too long. Because out of fear and other things, we, we sort of just keep pushing it away. And we can miss the opportunity as well. So timing becomes important to the vision that God has and what he wants to do. When he re-envisions us, when he gives us a vision, we have to seek his timing and how he wants those things to unfold and when is the right time. For the disciples, it was going to be, you know, a few matter of days. In fact, from Jesus' ascension to when the Holy Spirit comes, 10 days. It's not going to be long. But nonetheless, the first thing they were told to do was to wait. So timing, and then the last piece Last thing has to do with just working it out. I mean, it's about um, having the power to do it. Wait, witnesses to the ends of the earth, no way. can't do it. I don't know how we're going to do it. That's why Jesus says, wait, because I'm going to actually empower you to be able to do what I've called you to do. That doesn't give a vision. He doesn't envision us without empowering us to fulfill the vision. And the thing is, the power to fulfill the vision that God gives to us can never be out of our own strength. That's kind of the reason why God's visions usually are so incredibly big. Because if we think we can do it, it's probably not God's vision. Because it's probably within our own power and ability to do it. And, there, and, and God's vision requires this power of the Holy Spirit to see it happen and to come about. So wait until the Holy Spirit comes and he will empower you. He'll give you the power to carry this vision out. A few months ago, I ran across, I might have said it as well, but uh, I'll, I'm going to say it again, but if I did, um, I ran across a quote from uh, a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. Some of you will have known and heard of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was, um, well, he was a Yorkshire boy, grew up uh, in the uh, sort of mid-19th century, and God gave him a vision. God gave him a vision to be a witness, to be an ambassador for Jesus in China. And so uh, he, Hudson Taylor left and uh, left the, the England and went to China to be a missionary there. And, and this is the quote from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor's quote is this. He says, um, any great work of God has three phases to it. Any great work of God has three phases to it. First, it's impossible then it's difficult, and then it's done. First it's impossible, then it's difficult, and then it's done. 
It's impossible because we need the work of the Holy Spirit to do it. And then it's difficult because as soon as we jump in, we realize how impossible it is. Unless the Holy Spirit's doing the work. And then what we find out is all of a sudden we find that it's done. Not because we were so great, but because of the power of God to do what he wants to do. Hudson Taylor went, spent 51 years in China. He was a crazy missionary. He broke the rules. He went to China and he did something unimaginable. He dressed like the Chinese. You did not do that in the, eight, in the 19th century. You went somewhere to be an ambassador and you dressed the way that you dressed at home. And he's like, no way. If we're going to reach Chinese people with the good news of Jesus, we should look like them too. We should dress like them. We should show them that we care. And one of the ways we can do that is to actually sort of enculturate like them. And other missionaries thought he was out of his mind and thought he was doing the wrong thing. He'd send 800 people during his life to China to be missionaries with him. He started 300 missionary outposts, 150 uh, hospitals and medical centers and things throughout China. We know that at least directly, the direct influence of people that he and the people he brought over, we know that 18,000 people came to faith. May not seem much when we think of China, but today, Today, revival is happening in China at rates that nobody knows, of course, because we have a really hard time <laughs> penetrating in to what's really going on in the ground in China. Conservative, though, conservatively, people that have been studying and researching and trying to get to the bottom of where the church in China and what kind of growth it's experiencing, uh, conservatively, it's, a, it's 70 million Christians in China right now. 70 million is probably at least, it's probably easily 100 million, and it could be substantially more. First, it's impossible, then, it's difficult, and before long, we find out it's done. It's done through the power of the Holy Spirit when we engage in the vision that God has for us, and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. My question today is, where's your focus? When was the last time you sort of took a moment to look up beyond that thing that you right now you think is so important and such a priority? What would happen if you took a moment to step back from that thing and say, what might I be missing? What actually might be taking on right here in front of my face, right here around me, but because I've just sort of been sort of so good and focused on this thing, I've missed out that there's something happening right now, an opportunity that God may want to envision you towards. And is there something that you might feel on your heart that seems so big and so impossible and you think that can't be God because it just is no way? I just want to say, it could be. It might be. 
Or maybe you say, I just don't have a particular vision. That just doesn't even ring with me. Then I would encourage you to begin to pray and say, Lord, what would your vision be for me? What is the thing that you're doing that you want to invite me to join in? How might you want to envision me in my future? And then wait. Wait for the Lord to reveal his vision. Wait for him to show you the timing of that. But most importantly, be ready to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to do the thing that God calls you to do. As we've been talking about ambassadors, my guess is that for many or most of us, it's sort of like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I can do that. I don't, I don't know that I could actually, I don't feel that. I, it scares me. It scares me to think about what it means to be ambassador. I think all that Jesus is asking us to do is the same thing that he asked his disciples to do. He didn't say to them, go start a movement. He didn't say to them, you know, all these other things that we might envision or might imagine. He said to them just this, I need you to be witnesses. I need you to be willing to tell other people who I am and what your experience with me has been. Sort of full stop. Will you be my witnesses? Will you go? Will you just tell people that you've encountered me? Will you tell people that you know me? Will you tell people that you spent time with me and you saw me after my crucifixion? And I think that's what he asks of us. Are we ready? Are we willing to be his ambassadors? To go about our lives willing to open up and share with people what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes that's those conversations that most of us dread. <laughs> but are we open to that? Sometimes it's just actually being attuned to what people might be asking around us and being ready to respond when they ask the question. And some of it happens because we live a very different life. And our life, the life we live, causes questions in people. So I want to encourage you today. Capture a vision. Capture the vision that God has for you. We need to... We've got lots of vision at St. Barnabas, but we need to always be sort of capturing the vision that God has for us. Quite frankly, I think if, God, if the visions don't scare us, <laughs> they're probably not the right visions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you met with your disciples. We thank you that you envisioned them. And then amazingly, you left. You would turn back to the right hand of the Father. Lord, we pray today that we might be envisioned by you. That we might have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, may you begin to unfold to us something afresh and anew of what you've called us to do. Oh Lord, we're so grateful that it's 
not us. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by our strength. But it's by your spirit. So we join our prayers today and we just say, Holy Spirit, come. We long for you. We need you. Holy Spirit, come fill this place and fill us. Lord, we lift up the names of those people that we're praying each of us individually through this period of thy kingdom come. We just say, Holy Spirit, come and break into their lives. Lord, stir them up. Lord, we pray that they would have an encounter with you and may they capture a vision of who you are in their lives. Lord, make us a people. Make us a people that that make a difference in this place where we live. And Lord, we just say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.